Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Hey, welcome, Group Talk audience. Just want to invite you to the lobby gathering coming up in Southern California. Just want to let you know this is a great opportunity for you as small group point people to get together to be able to say, how can I learn from others that are doing other things that I may not know about? There's an old adage that says, you don't know what you don't know. The lobby is a great place to get learnings from others about things that you may not be tracking, things you may not even be knowing about. So at this lobby, we're going to be tackling some great issues in our together time, where we're going to be looking at church systems, where we're going to be looking specifically in the workplace environment, and how do we... uh, crack that nut to be able to figure out how we get groups into there. We're also going to be talking about some uh, higher level aspects of being able to discuss what are the trends that are seen out there across the globe in the small group ministry in the last decade that we can learn from in this current you know, trending where we're going. And then we're also going to have another uh, topic time of being able to discuss, okay, how do you franchise out what you've got. If you're into multi-sites, or even if you're not into multi-sites, you need to be able to know what is happening in your system. So look forward to having you at the lobby. Go to small group network forward slash events to learn more. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the small group pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, if you've been in small groups ministry for a couple of years, you start to see a pattern for the kind of issues that arise repeatedly. And it doesn't seem to matter much whether you're in a small church or a big church or what denomination you are, how many groups you have, or what group model you adopt. People are people, and they're just some issues that are sticky. And so today, we're going to do something special. We're going to do um, this month's group talk in two parts. In part one, we're going to explore the top five sticky issues that small group leaders face just in their living rooms as they're leading their groups, and then how to navigate through that. And then in part two, we're going to look at the top five sticky issues that small group point leaders face um, as pastors and directors and whatever level of ministry that's been developed in your church. And But these issues, I think you'll recognize, are ones that we live with day in and day out. And so for this special edition, I asked one of the sharpest minds, one of my favorite people in small group ministry world, and a mentor to many um, groups pastors, Bill Search, to come join me and to dive into these topics. Bill, thanks so much for being on Group Talk. Well, it is my pleasure to be here, and you're too kind in your introduction. Thank you so much, Well, it is very true. Most people probably have heard of Bill already. Um, He's passionate about helping group leaders lead well. And probably the thing I most appreciate about you, Bill, is you're so realistic and (laughs) down-to-earth. And your approach to group's ministry is like, you call it like you see it, and it's just so helpful in a practical way. Um, But it comes from 20 years of small group ministry experience. Bill has led 
discipleship charge in churches from the Midwest to California and then back again, uh, ranging in size from 1,000 to 20,000. And he's a frequent contributor to smallgroups.com as well as Right Now Media. And he's written two books. He wrote one about 10 years ago, Simple Small Groups. It's one of the first books I read when I started Small Groups Ministry. Still a classic on my shelf. And recently released uh, Essential Guide for Small Group Leaders, which is an excellent book for um, mostly for small group leaders. And it's formatted in a very simple, easy-to-use um, bullet point style. And I've just really loved this book as a gift that we can give to our leaders. So thank you for writing that. And- well, thank you again for your encouragement. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, we're going to, I'm sure, touch into some of the areas that you talked about in your in your book. Um, but I do want to just call this out. I thought it was so fun how this is, give you a, pers- a feel, listeners, if you don't know Bill, um, the titles of some of the chapters are things like um, curriculum to avoid, things that should never be shared in groups, and dealing with weird people. So this is kind of kind of the world in which Bill lives, and which most of us live in small group land. And so um, the content is, is practical and helpful. And today we're talking about the five sticky issues, which is fits right into the mix um, with this, right? It goes with either the weird people or just, just life in groups. Absolutely. If you're in a group for any length of time, these issues probably will emerge. Maybe not all of them in the same group, but even even some groups will encounter a bunch of these different sticky issues. So they're just it's part of life. So they show up in our communities. That's right. And so in no particular order, let's go through the five uh, sticky issues. Absolutely. You know, the first one I think of is politics. We just came off of a contentious political year, 2016. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was very tense. People have lots of opinions. Very few people have no opinions. True. And uh, in the world of politics, there, there, there's a couple things. There used to be an assumption that, uh, that a lot of our community might agree with our political persuasions. Most of us kind of swam in the same streams. And churches... Um, Maybe uh, one branch of the church might be more liberal in its politics, or another branch of the church might be more conservative in its politics. And that's not always true anymore. You could have a a branch that used to be conservative politically that's more mixed, and the the reverse is true. You could have a branch that used to be more politically liberal that tilts conservative or has people from all persuasions. And this last political cycle really demonstrated that, where there were— people that were crossing the lines they used to maintain. Sure. But also along with it is uh, is the expression. People have become more expressive of their political <laughs> That's such opinions. a kind way to put it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, and along with their expressiveness, they have lost respect and, yeah. uh, and charity and love. And there has been a lot more ferociousness in our speech. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's because we're used right. to pontificating and hitting that button and entering and then, uh, and then being completely shocked that someone will respond to our shocking comment with their own shocking comment. <laughs> but we do this in, um, in social media, and we, of course, watch this on the news. And so it's no surprise that when a group of friends get together and circle up in a family room somewhere in their small group, that the world of politics will enter that, too. And so, so the question is, what do you do? You know, what do you right. do when, when this comes up? 
So typically, I think um, we tend to to go to one or two extremes, right? So we either coach our leaders to just avoid it all, avoid the politics. You know, God is sovereign; He's over it, and there's you know, theological basis for that, of course. And so, just avoid the the uh, disruptive and the divisive issues, and just don't talk about it. At least offline it to you know maybe post study or just whatever. Um, keep it away from the group time. And then, or the other side of it is people who believe you know. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be united um, and mm-hmm. should agree to disagree, and it should still be very loving and kind, and we should be able to talk about anything um, within our groups. So why can't we talk about politics and have it be a helpful thing? So you've got both extremes. So where do you, you land? Do. Well, you know, and you can make a biblical case for political engagement. We sure. see that in the Old Testament with Joseph and Daniel. You can make a case for sort of political disengagement, and we see that in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and we see it a little bit in the Old Testament as well. And so the question is, you know, how we view politics. And uh, I, I often have said, if I thought that politics was the hope of the world, I'd, I'd run for office, <laughs> not be a pastor. But the, the truth is, is that the gospel and the call of a Christian is to sort of transcend the, the way that uh, our current culture addresses things. And sure. so the, the first thing I think is, keep it in its a proper perspective, that actually uh, there have been good leaders and bad leaders since the beginning of recorded history. And so uh, if we really thought that the next political leader was going to be the, the solution, we should all get behind that person. But we ought to keep a real broad perspective here, which is, you know what, they're going to let us down too. There's one Jesus, right. and whoever <laughs> is on the ticket is not him. That's good so, and so um, we, I think we can express ourselves, but as a leader, if you're a small group leader and this sticky issue comes up in your group, is, is to, first of all, gauge how the group is responding to it, but then also kind of bring the group back to Jesus. Not to sound cliche or trite, but to go, you know, the, the hope here isn't in politics. The hope isn't in, the, we're not going to create legislation that will make people righteous and moral and right. good. We're not going to get them, they're not going to be Christians before they're Christians. And so we can't actually expect politics or legislation or the government to accomplish something. You can't present, um, you can't resolve a spiritual problem with anything other than a spiritual solution. And politics is not a spiritual solution. Right, right. So we certainly can be engaged in the world of politics. We can certainly express ourselves. But what I recommend is, especially with new groups, is to tread extremely carefully right. because uh, politics and political opinions are very are very close to the person. And what we wouldn't want to do is create a divisive sure. thing within our group. Plus, we do not know what background issues people have, exactly. why they have the opinions they have. And exactly. some of those opinions are rooted in personal experience. Sure. And so if we become very ferocious in a, in a expressing an opinion, we have to be aware how that might affect people in our group. That's uh, a that's a really great caution. I had um, someone during the last fall political cycle come up to me. It was a member in a group, very um, disturbed, and just wanted to let me know that they just they didn't want to go back to their group because there was some discussion around immigration, and this person had personal experience um, and felt very deeply, exactly as you said, and they didn't know and and. Um, they weren't asked the question. They just felt silenced, um, and it that it got off to a, a bad place. And thankfully, we were able to have a conversation with the leader and them, and they had no idea that this was touchy. Yes. For them, it was a theoretical, philosophical, public policy issue. And for um, this couple, it was a 
deep, deep uh, personal issue um, that affected relatives and family and all sorts of things, and they just really missed it. Um, and so that was a really good learning for that team. And the other, the other thing, I love how you said it's, a, it's you know, politics, it's not necessarily a spiritual issue. Um, I, I've encouraged group leaders to spend time praying rather than discussing and debating. Mm-hmm. I think we yes. can all agree that we should pray for our leaders, regardless of where they are in the political spectrum. And that tends to, when people are praying together, that kind of mm-hmm. takes some of the heat and the ferociousness, as you put it. It kind of takes that way down. And they can agree on, you know, we want God's kingdom to come to earth yes. as much as possible in our country. So I think yes, that I, takes the heat I, I, off. I think that if if God wanted to resolve the world's problems through politics, Jesus would have been born in Caesar's household. But if you look at the situation <laughs> of the coming of the Messiah, he came in absolutely the opposite end of right, that spectrum. Right. And so, again, as, as followers of Christ, we can and should be engaged in, uh, in expressing ourselves within our civil rights. However, we need to be very respectful of the fact that uh, there are other things that actually uh, supersede our yes. expression of our own rights. That's and one great, of those, right. one of those is a love for one another. And one of those is unity in the body of Christ. And, and, you know, another one of those is keeping our eyes on the spiritual solutions, not on, uh, on temporary solutions that are just that temporary, yeah. you know, and, and since we're talking about politics, one of the political hot buttons that's come up is the next sticky issue, which is, yes, se- <laughs> is, is sexuality, right? It, it, the, that it, in in almost every group I have been part of for the last twenty years, at some point or another, mm-hmm. conversation around sexuality comes up. There is it such a co- bizarre openness to this that I think is yes. really different than, um, especially in our younger groups, uh, with younger people, than I think maybe the generation before. Um, our yes. culture has so shifted on this that Christians are getting looking stranger and stranger. <laughs> oh, well, and, and again, I mean, going back 20 years of ministry experience, I've been part of groups where people have overshared yes. uh, aspects That's of their so sexual, awkward. <laughs> se- sexual history, uh, things I wish I'd never, ever even thought about regarding that sure. other person. That's awkward, so don't um, share that. <laughs> uh, I, I've been part of a group with a guy who, uh, who thought sexual jokes were hilarious, and actually so did his wife. Oh, dear. Uh, which which was really bizarre, uh, and uh, and then of course in the modern era there's all kinds of opinions and thoughts sure. about transgender and same sex and all of those things that as and Carolyn you just said it the younger generation sexuality has just been part of the conversation yes. since they were little kids so, and so they they've grown up in a very sexual world and and then of course it's not just in politics it's entertainment uh, yes. the Fifty Shades of whatever. Has um, has mainstreamed pornography into just a typical family home. People have. I've been right. in airports and looked over and seen people read uh, what is essentially pornographic literature, and they're not hiding it. And yes. I mean, I, I'd be ashamed, but they're not. <laughs> they're not ashamed at all. Uh, and so this is affecting our groups. This mm-hmm. is showing up in our groups, and um, and so how do we? How do we deal with this? So I want you to answer that. 
you're the one with the 20 years of experience. Uh, like st- you're so funny. You start off by time. well, we can, well one area that it's come up a lot for us um, is in the air cohabitation that we've seen yes. in the 20 plus years. The the number of couples who cohabitate has increased dramatically, um, yes. and it's not all younger people either. It's second marriages, second relationships, third relationships, etc. So that's come up a lot, and that comes up in small groups because people then okay, and this is the two camps again, right? So if someone who's cohabitating shows up in your small group um, and you find out about it at some point, then the leaders tend to run to one of two camps. One camp is we have to talk to them every time and tell them they're living in sin and they need to stop. Um, And then the other camp is that's their business. It's between them and God and it's not for us to address and they just sit with it for years. Like both option obviously is bad, but, um, but how would you go about coaching a small group? Um, leader when they're in the midst of kind of having either that type of situation or another sexually inappropriate thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so there's two op- there's two issues at hand that a group are going to is going to deal with. One issue is what you just mentioned, which is sexual immorality actually showing up in the group. That's something that the so I, for, the first thing, and, oh, and then, then the other issue is um, attitudes and opinions yes. around sexuality. Yes. Um, so some sort of verbal expression. And so these are two separate things, but they both are interrelated. And and the first thing I think we have to do is we have to come back to what does God's word teach? And there, that has to be first and foremost. And, and over the last generation, that has dissipated. Uh, as far as the clear, concise teaching of God's word, it is pretty clear. It hasn't changed. It's, it's interesting. It has changed in how we have taught it and some people have believed about what the Bible teaches. But what it, what it really is, is it boils down to... Uh, teaching around sexuality is we've made it easy on ourselves. We we have we have diluted a lot of the clear teaching of Scripture mm-hmm. to make it simpler for ourselves. So it's and some our culture, of the, yeah, yeah. And some of the listeners here might disagree with my opinions on that, but that's uh, I just go back to the history of the church, and forever we have taught pretty much the same thing until about the last twenty years, and now we we're starting to shift our teaching. So, to me, I I'm just going to err on the side of pretty much every theologian who's dead and every biblical (laughs) scholar who has lived up until the current era. And so I tend to tilt in that direction. I know some of your listeners will go, so we'll see you're just a Neanderthal. You don't know anything. But (laughs) but I'm going to stick with what the scriptures clearly teach on this. So that's the first and foremost. You have to know what the scriptures teach on the matter. So that way your opinion is not rooted in current cultural trends. It's not written in a current cultural study. So even when um, when someone goes, well, they, you know, a person's just made this way. This is how they have to be. They have to conduct themselves. Well, a lot of people are made ways that they have to resist. You know, I have friends that are um, uh, struggle with alcoholism. So just to to actually genetically be predisposed towards alcoholism doesn't mean uh, I would ever encourage my friend to have a drink of alcohol because they like it so much. I I would actually encourage them to resist how they are made. I hope that uh, analogy makes sense. And so, um, so that's one issue: is how do we understand sexuality? What are our opinions? How do we express ourselves? And I'd go to the scriptures on that. Then there's the matter of what happens when it shows up in my group. When somebody in my group, as you mentioned, is cohabitating, um, and I, this is where a very loving uh, conversation has to take place. Yeah, and sure. I recommend, I recommend between the leader. And the couple, as opposed to say the whole group having a right. big confrontation, you know. <laughs> yes, a private awkward. conversation is better. <laughs> yeah, we've all been talking in our group while you weren't here about how immoral you are, <laughs> and you need to stop it. Don't, don't do that. 
but but a loving way. This is, um, hey, uh, first of all, um, I, I don't even know if you know what the scriptures teach on this subject, sure. but here's what it teaches. And I yeah, don't first, assume that they know. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to leave that with you to pray about and to ask God what he would have you do with this. And so I would expose the person to the truth of God's word and let them think on that and pray on that and then go, hey, could, I'd love to talk with you, uh, uh, you know, a little further about this later. But rather than a big confrontation that goes, oh, no, now I want you to rearrange your life and quit doing what you're doing, I would start with the scriptures and start with a right. private conversation and done so in a gentle and loving way. I'd be very patient with the people. You know, Jesus gives us an example of how to respond to someone in Matthew 18 who has sinned. And there's a number of steps, but there's also not a clear timeline. It isn't like, well, then you give them 22 minutes to think about it, and then you bring another <laughs> friend to confront. You know, he doesn't say that. And so I think that we can be a little patient with these matters. And uh, a, a, a big piece here, though, and I failed to mention it, but it's important, is this is where a, a connection with the leadership of your church, right. a clear understanding of what your leadership, your church teaches on this, and then a, a conversation with your coach or your pastor, whoever that person is that's your direct um, uh, connection with the leadership of the church, and say, hey, this is what's happening in my group. What would you say, suggest I do with this? Would you pray with me over this? Mm-hmm. That I, like I said, I failed to mention that up front, but that is very, very vital in a, in these kind of sticky matters, in particular this one. And, and so I would um, I would involve my pastor in that conversation, but I wouldn't necessarily say, "Hey, would you have the conversation with the person?" As a leader, you should have the conversation with the person in your group and uh, and talk with them. But again, you, you gotta, I always ask myself, how would I like to be confronted? Mm-hmm. If I have a right. blind spot in my life and I'm doing something and I actually have justified it or I think it's okay and someone else doesn't think it's okay, would I want someone to come at me with a hammer and a hatchet? No. <laughs> no, I want them to come at me like a, a friend who cares that that actually is trying to convince me of what is right, but is doing it in a real loving manner. Which means you need the relationship first. Uh, it means yeah, you kind of walk with people, kind of see what's going on um, before you jump in to correct the behavior. Um, okay, so a third issue, and I have to go speed up a little bit here, yeah. non-essential issues that are passionately argued. So, Bill, for yeah. these, you're talking whether they're theological, whether they're parenting, because I've been in parenting small groups that have been pretty passionate about um, certain parenting, you know, disciplining or immunizations or yep. whatever randomness. Oh, yeah, yeah. You but, you just touched, touched on a couple there, <laughs> whether oils will solve every uh, illness you have or or they can be biblical issues, but they're just, they're important, but they're not essentials. I mean, they can be how old the earth is or when right. the, how the earth is going to, how the world's going to end. Those are important issues, but those aren't essential issues. And uh, even if you're not a creedal Christian, that is that you don't recite a creed, you know, there's the Apostles' Creed. If anyone's going, what's an essential? You could probably Google Apostles' Creed, and if you read through that, odds are you'll be like, yeah, that's stuff to die for. And then if it's not mentioned, that's stuff to maybe get beat up for, but not die for. Well, and, and, so, then, and it ends up just being needlessly divisive because it's not worth yes. dying. It's what you hold tightly versus what you hold loosely, right? And I, I well, love your yeah. admonition about going back to the church leadership and saying, you know, maybe some some churches from our listeners have ones that are maybe really close up there, um, not necessarily the Apostles' yes. Creed level, but maybe something something they hold really closely that's important no, to that's, them as a church. Uh, that, 
I think that's important. You have a, a diverse listening uh, audience here. And so you, some churches will put things in their essential column that may not exist in the essential column at my church. Right. And uh, I respect the difference there. And so you have to be familiar as a leader with what are the essentials of your church because you don't have the freedom as a leader to remove things from the essential and you don't have the freedom to add things to the essential. I mean, you have the you have the freedom to decide where you go to church, but you don't. You can't actually go. Look, my church doesn't take this issue seriously, but they should, and therefore our group is going to take this. Now you're being divisive. Exactly. You as the you know within the group, and so you have to. This comes back to once again as a leader, knowing what's essential, knowing what's not essential, knowing what your leadership of your church teaches and holds to and clings to dearly, and then being able to express that. So if somebody in your group gets as you mentioned, you know, gets real passionate about immunization. You can say, hey, let's pump the brakes here. Let's stick with what the Bible teaches here. What we're going to do here is what we want to passionately hold, cling to, is the scriptures. Now, you can be passionate about your issue. That's okay. And we respect that. But let's not be divisive. Let's maintain a spirit of unity. There's an old adage that has been around the church forever and ever, which is in the essentials, there should be unity. In non-essentials, there's there's freedom or liberty, and in all things there should be love, and so yeah. love should be the uh, it should be the foundation of all of our relationship with one another. But we we ought to be able to acknowledge, hey, you know, you don't have to think like I do on this issue, and we can still be friends. Right. I don't. I personally don't want to be in a, a small group community with everybody who shares my own opinion. I already share mine. <laughs> you don't want I, you don't want eight to ten bills. <laughs> No, I find my opinions irritating sometimes. I, I that's called an echo chamber. If you if you only exist in community with people who think exactly like you do, you're just echoing. But you, this is the beauty of being in a small group with people where right. some people are passionate about this issue or this issue. It's just that we ought to love one another. And yeah. so even if if one person in your group thinks the earth is 6,000 years old, another person thinks it's 600,000, another person thinks it's, you know, a trillion or whatever. I you know, at that point you should be able to love one another. Now the essential is you should you should come back to God made it. Yes. It's he's, it's his creation and it bears his image that we as people bear it. Like that part, we should all cling to. But as far as the other part, we should be able to love one another and like every now and then have some coffee together and (laughs) all that, even if we don't agree. So in those non-essentials, just a a key again is knowing what does my church hold to? What are the essentials of my church? That's a good word. And And so uh, that's, you know, another one that comes up in almost every group is uh, gossip and complaint. Uh, you know, yes. That, that, that <laughs> Especially about up. the church. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it shows up in two different ways. There's gossip about people, which usually shows up as a prayer concern. Of course. You know, would you would you please remember my friend Betty at work? She's so irritating. <laughs> I don't even know how how she has a job because if I were her boss, I would fire Betty. I, I don't blame Betty because she had parents who don't love her. In fact, I don't love her, and no one else does. You know. So you know, like it yes. shows up like that, and you're like, are you praying or are you slamming this person? <laughs> Because it's very entertaining, but I'm pretty sure it's sin. Uh, so it shows up like that, uh, you know, and our, our mutual friend, Steve Gladen, I learned from him years ago, you know, he would say, if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, you're not part of it. And yep. so as a leader, that's back on the gossip one is you got to set a tone. You got to, you have to, you have to be able to acknowledge, you know what, this part 
when we, you might even have to say it up front at prayer request time. Hey, when we do prayer request time, let's make sure we pray for things that are very personal to us, that we're praying about, that we're personally invested in, that we care deeply about. And as we do pray for um, these prayer recurrence concerns, let's make sure we don't accidentally slide off into gossip. You know, you can just call it out. And uh, there are times where I've led groups where I've had to call it out. Sometimes people get it, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes they still don't get it. But um, but that's where it normally shows up. It can show up just in normal group time too, where someone's gossiping about people. I, I've I've served so much of my ministry in large churches, and one of the sins large churches typically don't have problems with is gossip. Because the minute you're like, hey, do you know this so-and-so? You know, people are like, no, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's the benefit. So it does, it's, yeah, it's no good. You know, I grew up in a small church, like uh, first oh, we 19 knew, years, yeah, me too. We first knew everything years about of my everyone. life, man. <laughs> uh, we, knew, we knew everything about everybody, and uh, that wasn't always good. So there's the gossip piece, and you just deal with that head on. The other is complaint. And yeah. uh, complaint shows up, as you mentioned, uh, usually about the church. Oh, the worship today. It was finally good, or you know, <laughs> they finally, you know, they finally sang a song that honored the Lord, uh, or or uh, you know, more often than not, it's the other thing. Ah, oh, the lights blinded me, or the, so you know, the song was too loud, or that you know, it was you know, it would really be nice if we heard a sermon that incorporated the scriptures or whatever. You know, <laughs> it's it it's all kinds of things, but uh, too much Bible, too little Bible, too, too much deep, music, too not light, enough yes. music. Yeah, oh my word, I've heard it all, and. Uh, and so, again, uh, and this is one of the dangerous things. This is why a lot of senior pastors are actually nervous about small groups because they figure, mm-hmm. I'm given a channel for people to connect with each other, and all they're going to do is whine about me and this church. Yeah. And uh, and so that makes a lot of senior pastors nervous. And the best we can do with this is work with our leaders and just mm-hmm. say, hey, be on guard. It's it's a normal human um, you know, kind of thing to sure. complain. And that's kind of what we do. Uh, we've been doing it. You just read the Bible. People have been complaining a long time. And so, uh, and so we just need to anticipate it and then address it when it shows up. And, yeah, and, and for sure. And you know, one, um, when our church was going through a transition with a um, senior pastor, I, that was especially um, a tough one and one that we were really vigilant about guarding because then people are going to different churches in the interim. Then there's all this unrest and um, just trauma and all sorts of stuff going flying around. And I think one one thing I, I've tried to have our leaders understand is, you know, you, if someone has a legitimate complaint, even if it's about music or whatever it may be, it's not your job to defend the church. You you don't have to be defensive right. about defending yeah. us. Uh, you know, God can defend his own church, but if there's a legitimate concern, there's something going on in children's ministry, whatever it might be, if someone brings up something with a spirit of humility and like they want to try to figure this out, instead of you being the problem solver or the defensive person uh, protecting the church, because that's not your job, um, to invite them into a conversation, say, hey, you should talk to, you know, Bill, he leads elementary ministries, and maybe you could talk to him about what's going on with, you know, Sunday school, um, and maybe open that that way up, or just let your coach know, or let someone in leadership know that there's a concern, um, when it's not just whining, but where there's like a legitimate issue, and I found that when people are given that outlet, a lot of times they just go away, because really all they want to do is grumble anyway, so that yeah. no, 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 I don't need to meet with anyone, I don't need to see Carolyn, yeah. I'm really good, um, or they'll say, well, I really appreciate that, yeah, is there someone that I could talk to, I didn't want to bother someone at church um, about this, and, and I think they feel valued. 
So it's a good tester to say, hey, do you want me to connect you to someone who can, who can help you with that? If there's a legitimate um, complaint. Or in married couples groups, the complaint sometimes is so bizarre to me, but this seems to happen quite a bit, where they complain about the other spouse while well, the spouse is sitting there. And yes. it's, it's so awkward for everybody else. <laughs> or it's I their habit that. of their marriage, uh, yeah. apparently. Oh. And so they're like, we're good with, you know, we're fine. We're just joking. And I'm like, but we're not fine. We're all really awkward yeah. and uncomfortable with it. You just traumatized us, what you just said about him. Yeah, so what do yeah. you do? What do you do with yes. like that kind of thing? Well, and again, I think that uh, it, this is where a gentle side conversation might come in. Now, maybe if if someone just drops a bomb in the middle of the group and complains about their spouse right in front, you might give a verbal <laughs> like, "Ow, are you, wow, yeah, that, call it out, yeah." That's that's harsh, boy. If if uh, you know, if it was me, like I might go. If Karen said that about me, I'd be on the floor in tears right now. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm so glad Bob over there is so tough and thick skinned because I'm not. You know, so some of it is, and this is my personality and temperament. I'm not sure I tull everybody to I, I'm not sure I'm okay. I tell everybody. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't this off. <laughs> Some of it is is like I can I can sometimes enjoy an awkward situation and make it tougher, you know. <laughs> but some of it is a way of being able to vi- verbalize like, hey, that's a little bit beyond. But again, this is a side conversation right. too. If this is like a pattern that shows up, if it just happens once and it's just someone's failed attempt at humor, then that's one issue. But right. if this comes up again and again, then you have to have that conversation. If if you have a complaint, you, some groups are blessed with a complainer. <laughs> They're um, they it's it's like a corrupt form of the spiritual gift of discernment. It's it's just I mean, like at its core, they might actually be discerning something that's true. They might, you know. And this is the reality: is sometimes complaint is rooted in uh, some sort of uh, valid concern, sure. but it's expressed in a sinful way. And yeah. so as leaders, I like to, I'm, I'm always listening for the valid concern, even if it's said in a sinful mm-hmm. way, because I, 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 as a leader in the church, I'm always trying to make the church I serve stronger and healthier. So if that comes up, I want to hear that. But I like what you said, which is point them back to the person. If they're complaining about the music, if someone in your church complaining or your group is complaining about the music, go, hey, why don't you talk to the person who coordinates the music? Mm -hmm. You know, if they're complaining about the student ministry, why, you know what, why don't you get involved in the student ministry? Or or at least go talk to the person because I don't know what's going on there. I I, I couldn't, and I don't want to go and find out and then report back and get in the middle of that. That's, that's, I don't have the the same concern you are expressing here. So why don't I just tell, I'll find out who you should talk to. Right. And, uh, most of the time, as you said, most of the time they're like, oh, I, it's, okay. it's okay. You know, I, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> all right. So on the last one, and you have to do this one really quick because we're out of time. Uh, last one. Drum roll. <laughs> Fight the Let's last. go for it. Alcohol, <laughs> marijuana, yeah. substance abuse. <laughs> oh, up. my. You know, it used to be a given what didn't show up in a group, but it's not a given anymore. Um, this, this one in particular, you yeah. really have to in, be in conversation with your church leadership because some churches have a, like a strict no alcohol sure. policy, and that makes that easy. And some churches uh, have uh, the wine, beer, and things like that. Uh, no big deal. I grew up Baptist and Lutheran. And uh, those traditions both dealt with alcohol differently. And uh, and so you just have to understand uh, what your church leadership holds to and be uh, supportive of that. Yeah, and that's been true with like medical marijuana, too. I mean, California, where I I am, um, that's legal now. 
And so mm-hmm. we've had conversations on leadership. Thank God it hasn't quite shown up in small group yet, but I'm sure it will. It uh, will. Where and, someone and, will be using it. Yeah. So um, the, 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 one of the passages of Scripture uh, that I always hold to uh, in regards to alcohol, and, and the same with marijuana, too, which is Paul, what Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, mm-hmm. but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't be under the influence uh, to an extreme of alcohol. Instead, be under the influence to an extreme of the Spirit of God. And so, if you're going to be inebriated, if you will, be inebriated on God. And so, I mean, that's more or less what Paul's saying. He's saying, like, if you plan to not be filled with the Holy Spirit, then shame on you. You should be filled. But if you plan on being filled with alcohol and be drunk, then that's not right. And so, uh, sobriety, period, is a commission that, regardless of your church's opinion about alcohol, that every Christian— when it comes to alcohol, should maintain sobriety. That's right there in the Bible sure. in a couple of different places. So there's that. But again, this is one. I, my opinion is, even if you're in a church that says, oh, we, we're fine with alcohol, I would just say don't don't bring it into your group. Because you just don't, don't know who's been affected. We have so you, many people affected by alcohol abuse and alcoholism that chances are pretty good that if yep. you have a random group of 10 or 12, someone's been har- harmed by it. And uh, so it, I have the same, you, same thing. I'm yeah. like, in general... You Don't know, do it. Yeah, it just it causes if, potential harm to someone that you might not even know about. If you can't go two hours without <laughs> alcohol, you have a problem. You know, I mean, really, there's there's true. It, I, that, that's just the reality. So uh, again, this is one to have a conversation with the leadership of your church because this is a very loaded one, but it is a sticky one, and it used to never be an issue. Mm-hmm. But even in circles where alcohol was was uh, never present, now in many of those circles alcohol showing up. I have, I have friends that, you know, are part of a tradition that a generation ago would have been teetotalers. And today they're, they're knocking back hard liquor. I mean, they're doing bourbon and whiskey and all kinds of stuff, which kind of floors me. I'm, I'm old enough now that I look at that with a puzzled expression, but especially amongst younger people, this isn't, this is just like, uh, Hey, what's your hang up and what's your big deal? And the big deal is, as you just mentioned it, you have no idea of 10 or 12 people Odds are someone personally struggles with alcohol or they are a child of someone who does or a sibling of someone who does. And so it could be a distraction that uh, you don't need. When you get together as a group, you're only there for a couple hours. Focus on Jesus and one another. And, uh, and, uh, you know what, don't let that be a, a stumbling block. So those are a bunch of, like, a, you know, I said up front, those are sticky issues. Your group might deal with one of those, but you're, you might deal with a bunch of those and they show up in any group, regardless of age of group, denominational affiliation. These are very common. Well, thank you so much for addressing the five um, sticky ones. I think, yeah, they are are super common. Um, and if you haven't dealt with them yet, you probably will. <laughs> um, Indeed. And you'll, and you'll have fun navigating with Jesus through them. Um, okay, so this concludes part one um, of our conversation with Bill on sticky issues. So stay tuned for part two, which is going to address the sticky issues for small group point people, uh, small group pastors, directors, anyone kind of overseeing the broader ministry. And so... Hopefully that will be of, of assistance to you. So go ahead and um, I'll log off for this one. And we'll continue with part two with Bill's search. 
Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.